The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, Son, and Spirit, Lord God Almighty, you reign over the English-speaking world and the Twampa-speaking world. You know, people in America and people in South Sudan and Ethiopia, you have people from every tongue and tribe and nation, and we bless your holy name for that truth, and we say thank you. You are God and you are good. We pray that as we now spend time here together corporately and in this particular part of the service, we turn to your word that you would teach, that you would teach us more about who you are and about who we are. And I pray in particular that, that as you teach us, that what would come out of that is what you intend for this psalm to generate in us, that what would come out of it is, is thanksgiving, a, a deeper heart of gratitude and an inclination to give thanks because that's right and good and good for us. So do that work this morning here now with this psalm, we pray. Will you teach and guide where needed? Will you, will you, will you correct? Will you encourage? Will you remind? Spirit of God, we look to you to do these things. Will you take our minds and hearts, will you speak into them and will you lift up Jesus to the glory of the Father? Own this time, own, own this church, own this people of yours. Do us good. Do us good by raising us up and, and inclining our, our eyes upward. Show us yourself. Build us up, gain great honor for your name. And so we pray for now in this time. Have your way here, Lord, with us, your people. Thank you. Amen. Every November, Americans begin the holiday season with Thanksgiving. This is such an important time to us culturally that many of us make a point of celebrating it no matter where we are, traveling overseas, at home, away even the military in, in combat zones, makes sure, we all make sure all around the world to find some turkey and find some cranberry sauce and sit down to eat and maybe watch some football, think of family, and then we go shopping, Thanksgiving. Which from a Christian perspective is really important. Not just that one day in November, I mean the whole practice of thanksgiving, of giving thanks to God regularly, continually. It's important. It's commanded in the Bible often. Think perhaps of Paul's exhortations in 1 Thessalonians or Philippians or Ephesians 5. We, God's people, he tells us, Ephesians 5 there, when, when we are the people of God, when the Spirit of God owns us and takes control of us, what happens is that we are giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what Paul says is normal for us. It's honoring to God, and it's good for us. 
And so to help his people give thanks, God puts before us this short psalm, Psalm 100. If you look at the very beginning, you see that this introductory comment here, maybe in your Bible, it's, it's probably printed in a different font in your Bible. We, we see these kinds of introductions throughout the Psalms, sometimes telling us something about the author or the setting. Here it's telling us the purpose, the intention for this psalm. God puts it here so as to help us in giving thanks. So that's where we're going here with the psalm, though the, the first of the two, I'm going to make two points from the psalm, and the first point might not seem like we're on the path to thanksgiving, but we are. So kind of keep that in the back of your head. It, it connects. We're going to look at this, and what I, as I prayed, what I hope, what I, I think should come out of this, and by God's grace will come out of this, is that we will use this psalm and grow in giving thanks for the glory of God and for our good. So I'm going to make two observations towards that end. Here's the first. Joyful worship arises as we remember God and our dependence on him. Joyful worship arises as we remember God and our dependence on him. I get this particularly from verses 1 to 3. As we look at this, you'll notice that a fair bit of this sounds familiar. It's similar to many other psalms, but especially Psalm 95, which we looked at a few weeks back. First half of that psalm and the first half of this psalm are, are similar. They have a similar flow and a similar progression of thought. Verses 1 and 2 have a familiar opening call to worship. Make a joyful noise. Serve with gladness. Come singing. See it there in verses 1 and 2. Three plural commands. Maybe we can picture the setting of, of a, a worship leader issuing these plural commands to the people of God. It fits well in a worship setting, particularly when you look at verse 4, the idea of, of coming into the courts, coming into the gates, coming into God's presence, and we see here serving the Lord. That would be serving like with an act of worship, like offering a sacrifice or, or giving an offering of some sort. This sounds a lot like coming into God's presence, serving him, coming through the gates. In the Old Testament context, what it says is temple. That's the setting. The place where the Lord chose to dwell among his people. This is the Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's Yahweh, his name there again, as, as very often in these psalms. He's inviting people to come into his presence and who is this speaker addressing? Well, again, we get, make a joyful noise of the Lord, all the earth. This again is God revealing to us his heart for all the nations. He's calling all of the earth, people from every tongue and tribe and nation, to come to this one God, the Lord. He's not saying go to all the various gods. No, in fact, come to the one true God. So we see a focus here, but we also see particularly God's heart for the peoples, the people groups of the world. Come, he says, come rejoicing and come and make a joyful noise and come and worship him and come glad-hearted, come singing. That's the way to come to the Lord. Come to the Lord back then at his temple. 
which of course for now, us, we, as we think, how do we apply this now? We, we can think of a corporate worship service just like that. We can think of a, of a worship service like this. But we also can think of countless other settings. Small groups of Christians gathered together. Or, or even, even a Christian personally, individually. This is one of the great blessings of the new covenant. Of, of the new covenant in which now we, we the people of God today, in which we now sit and, and how we interact with God, that there is no longer this requirement that every coming to God and, and the interaction with God be centered on a temple building. That's no more. There is no longer a, that was the old covenant, a, a centering on a temple building and a centering on service and, and acts of, of offering and sacrifice and prayers there in that one building because that's where God chose to dwell. But in the new covenant, bless God, he has said, that gets kind of blown up and expanded. The New Testament tells us that the people of God, not the building, the people of God are the temple. And it even, Paul in Ephesians will even say, that a Christian, an individual Christian is the temple of God because God dwells in you. God dwells among us and in us. Among all of us and in each of us. This is a great blessing for the people of, of all the nations because they don't have to go to one locale, one specific spot. But where they are, he is. So what does this mean for this psalm? Well, it means that we can read this and we can have in our minds corporate worship service like this. But more, we don't have to limit it to that. This can also be your Tuesday evening commute home from work. In the car all by yourself. Right there. In the car all by yourself on the way home Tuesday evening. Come to the Lord into his presence with singing. Come rejoicing and be glad. Because he's there. Which is what he wants from us always. These are commands. These are commands. It's right to obey them because that's what honors him, to come into his presence glad and expressing joy that honors him. That honors anybody, any person. You think about this. If somebody says, the thing I wanted to do right now was I just wanted to come be with you. I'm delighted to see you. I'm so happy you're here. That's honoring to you and to God. And, and in fact, the opposite is not honoring. We, if you think about this, we actually cannot worship him without this glad-hearted, delightful, joyful expression in the heart and then coming out. It's not possible to worship without that. This is the command to his people to come and to worship him. That is, to come to him joyfully because it's right and it honors him and it is for our good I hope you've heard this in just about every psalm I've preached here. It's what's right, and what do you know? God requires what's good for you. 
This is good. It's for our good, or to use the words of the psalm here, it's for our joy and gladness. If you were, if we were to obey verses 1 and 2, you would be joyful and glad. Not acting joyful and acting glad. You would be joyful and you would be glad. There's a gigantic difference, right, between acting glad and being glad, between acting joyful and and being joyful. To obey this is to be joyful and to be glad. This is a good thing, to be joyful and glad in heart on Tuesday afternoon in your car commuting home from work. Tuesday afternoon commuting home from a terrible day at work. Where you made a poor decision and everyone realized it. And you're not really sure what the consequences of that are going to be tomorrow. Once management's had a chance to think it all through. But it's going to be some consequence. And you know that. And you drive home, you're worried and you're stressed. Uncertain. And then here's a command. An offer. It's a command. It's an offer. It's an offer. It's a command because it's right, and it's an offer. It's a good offer laid out to you. It's a privileged command and offer that you have, Christian, because right there in your car, or elsewhere with a group of believers, or here in our church worship service, you're commanded to, and you can, You can come into his presence and serve him, worship him in joy and gladness of heart. This is a path. Here, there's a path laid out and a door opened up to you along which and and at the end of which you can find gladness and joy. It's a path to the place of joy regardless of your circumstances. We want to live like that. We want to know that kind of a life. Able to be glad and joyful even amidst the uncertainty of the consequences of tomorrow at your job or even amidst any of the thousand other pains fearful, troubling heartaches of life. Which there are, right? I was reading in this book, I, I, think, uh, I think the women are going to look at this book this summer, but I was reading in a book about a story a woman told about her church life, which hasn't happened to us this week, but kind of the point of the story was nobody expected it. I think it was a 30-some-year-old couple with young kids, child on the way, husband dies in a car accident, suddenly. And, and the author wrote, one Sunday he's there with us, and the next Sunday he's not. He's 35 years old and dead. She's 35 years old and gave birth eight days after his funeral. That hasn't happened to us, but it could today or tomorrow or the next day because the world is busted and fallen in sin and as we talked about last week unrighteous and unjust 
And it's going to be. Now, indeed, we are to think about righteousness and justice, and we are to be on God's side of righteousness and justice, and we, with him, should say we are working for righteousness and justice in this world, indeed. But that's not ever, ever, ever going to get completely, totally fixed until Christ comes again. The world remains busted. And we want to, I would say, desperately want to long for, need the the ability to to know joy and gladness and rest and hope and peace even amidst all of that. Not instead of it, not when we get rid of it, but in it. Amidst sorrowing, we want to know rejoicing. Amidst trouble, we want to know rest. We want that in life. And we want it when we come and worship too. Because we do this regularly also. And who among us, you, don't raise your hand, who among us loves coming to dry, dull, duty-filled, drudgery worship services? Nobody. Nobody likes a church service that feels like that. We don't want to come to God like that. So we may, we may acknowledge that I don't want to come to God like that. And I see that I'm not supposed to come to God like that. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that he actually intends for this to be about joy and gladness, not just dutiful, obedient declaration of praise. He wants more than that. Good. But sometimes it seems sort of elusive And like I have to pretend on Sunday morning. Or in the car ride home from work. Or school. Or the hospital. And you just don't feel very joyful. What do you do? do? What are we supposed to do? These are commands. They're commands. We're supposed to make a joyful noise, to serve in gladness and to sing and to come into his presence delighted. The commands, we cannot just dismiss them as optional because I've had a tough day. I can't just allow myself to remain dead and dry inside and fake it on the outside, but on the smile. I can't just stay away until I feel better. In fact, what we're supposed to do is look at verses 1 and 2 and say, that's what God means. That's what he requires. That's what he intends. That's what he commands. That's what he offers. And I'm not there. I don't have it. We're supposed to look at that, realize it, be honest about it, and then keep reading. Because thankfully, God gives us some help here. This is, and this is the point we're working towards. So there, there's, the, there's the joyful worship. And it arises, verse 3, when we remember God and our dependence on him. Verse 3 is another command. Know this. And, and what we get here is, is not by any means new information. There's not some new instruction or new fact or, or new thought here. This is very well known. So what he means is, is something like, consider this. 
realize this. Remember this. Take yourself in hand, put yourself in front of this, and reflect on it. What does this mean? Here's what we're to know, to remember, to reflect on, and, and work on the meaning of the Lord, He is God. Which again is a statement that we've seen repeated a number of times. And, and often in the context where we've been noticing that, often it is in, somehow in the context of the peoples of the earth and their many varied so called gods. So often the point there is that the Lord, Yahweh, he is the, the one true God, and all the other gods of the nations are idols. They're all false gods. That's, that's often the context. So we, we can remember that, recall that, but that's not actually where this is pushing us. Notice there's no mention of the other gods. It's going somewhere else. Remember, it's going towards Thanksgiving. He's going somewhere else here. Maybe you can see it differently if I, if I say it differently. The Lord, not he is God, that would be the other context. The Lord, he is God. This is pushing us to consider the godness of God. To consider the godness of our Lord as fuel for gladness and joy, for joyful worship. Know that the Lord is God. God Almighty. Our God, he is the one who reigns. That's what we should be thinking and thinking about. Know this, reflect on it, consider it. Thinking and thinking about he made us. Not the other way around. He made us. We are not creators. We are not even autonomous. We, we are not self-created. We are not self-sustaining. We are not self-governing. We don't rule us, nor does anything else rule us. Nothing else rules us or owns us or oversees us. The Lord does. He alone. He is God, and we are his people. He is our God, and we are his people, and he is ruler over everything. He is ruler of, over us, and he is ruler for us. We are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. Imagery we saw before, of course, back in Psalm 95. Imagery that as it makes us sheep, makes him our shepherd, which is interesting and sweet. It's an interesting and sweet imagery. You move to, you've got, you've got God and you've got creation, which lifts God up and makes him makes him a mighty God, the creator, the only one who existed before anything else existed. It's like this, and then you drop down to shepherd, and shepherd is, is different. Not that it removes all idea of authority and rule, but it certainly changes it and makes it more tender, sweet, near, and certainly emphasizes care. Care. And in light of where we're going, Thanksgiving, also this imagery unavoidably brings up dependency. It is well known that sheep are remarkably needy animals. 
if you think it through, lots of God's creatures have something going for them. They're fast or strong or tough or clever or combative or they can fly or they're at least camouflaged. Sheep are in the none of the above category. (laughs) There just are not large, wild herds of sheep because they wouldn't make it. Sheep need someone else to do for them. To put them in pasture and feed them to build a fence around them to protect them, to daily attend to them, to keep them healthy and fit. That's us. We think we're all big and strong and capable. We're self-made men and women. We're somebodies. Until something happens and you suddenly realize, no, I am not. I'm not. We're just sheep. We're weak and vulnerable and rebellious by nature. We are constantly wandering off and trying to go our own way astray. And by nature, then, we don't think about him and we don't serve him and we don't worship him. In fact, we forget him and are inclined away from him and put off by him. But this God, this God, in grace, sought out his sheep wandering on all the earth and every tongue and tribe and nation. He sought us out, sought you out, Christian, by sending his good shepherd to capture you and bring you back. And as he laid you on his shoulders to carry you home, he then also laid on his own shoulders the iniquity of us all. He atoned for your sin on the cross and he claimed you as his own and put you in his pasture and has committed himself to be your shepherd forever, to do for you. To do for you what maybe now in a moment you realize, maybe that Tuesday afternoon in the the commute home, you realize, you desperately realize, I need done for me because I cannot. Help. face the desperate troubles in this world. You see your predicament. You see pain. You feel it. You experience it. And you realize how dependent you are on him for everything and realize that apart from him you can do nothing. And then you know this. You know that he is God. That you are his. And that he is your shepherd. And you shall not want That he has committed himself to lead you into green pastures and to sit you down and to feed you. To lay out a table for you even in the presence of your enemies. Even in the presence of your enemies. Not getting rid of them, right in front of them. To care for you and feed you. He has you in his hand and he has all of that and all of this. And he has you, really, he has you. This remembered, realized, reflected on is what fuels joy and gladness in his presence.
But Christian, you have to remember and come into his presence. Too often, if we're honest, too often sitting in that car, driving home, in whose presence are you sitting and what are you remembering? You're sitting in your own presence, that's it. Maybe the presence of the boss and the coworkers. Maybe the presence of the spouse at home and trying to figure out how you're going to break the news. That's whose presence you're sitting in. And what are you remembering? Your error and your vulnerability and the pending pain and loss of tomorrow and the consequences and then, and then what, and then what, and, then, and that's it. And that's our responsibility. Christian, take those thoughts captive and submit them to the truth of God, your shepherd. Absolutely, you take those thoughts. You don't try to pretend those things aren't real. You, you embrace your vulnerability. You embrace your weakness and dependence. And you look at it all and you say, this here. Lord, And then you know, you reflect, you tell yourself, he is God. I believe that spirit of God Help my unbelief. Help me to remember this, to know it. I know it, we all know it, but to know it. Press into my mind, spirit, the truth of God, my shepherd. Seeing this, seeing all of your needs and all of your vulnerability and all of your dependence and seeing and knowing, believing that he is the God over them, in fact, the God under them, the God through them, God. Strong and wise and caring and good and loving and gracious and gracious and gracious and gracious, gracious. Seeing that the supremacy of God in all things is what is for your joy and your gladness, Christian. And that's what leads to thanksgiving, which is the second point. So I finished the first point, please don't miss that, by saying this is all true, but sometimes there's no bite in our lives. Because we're, we're kind of like if, if, you, if you drive a stick shift, you can hammer down the accelerator, but unless you pick take your foot off the clutch, you're not going anywhere. So you've got to engage the gear. You've got to engage this, or to leave the analogy, you've you got to actually go into his presence and know this about him. So it leads to joy and gladness, and it leads to thanksgiving. Here's a second observation. Come to him giving thanks, for he has been and always will be so very good to us. 
Come to him giving thanks, for he has been and always will be so very good to us, to you. Verse 4, we once again find three plural commands, and in a real sense, it's pretty similar to verses 1 and 2. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. The one unique element there is the repeated reference to thanksgiving. We're to come into his presence, similar. Praise him, worship him, similar. And give thanks to him. Verse 5, for, because, similar to know the Lord, because the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in his faithfulness to all generations. Consider the goodness of the Lord. Remember it, Christian. And consider his faithful love, how he has shepherded you and cared for you and protected you. Do you remember? This requires you to think. Because he, he doesn't mean, I want you to come and pronounce the words, thank you, Lord. He means give thanks, which immediately should make us say, about what? Well, good question. About what? And then you've got to think. And, and thinking about that is inevitably going to push you into specifics. Where have you seen his wise and strong care? Where have you seen his steadfast love? Where have you seen his faithfulness? Where have you seen his creative power? Where have you seen his shepherding for you, for your loved ones, for your church body, people that you care about around you? Be specific and think and remember. And give thanks to him for those many and varied graces poured out on you. So think. Give thanks to the Lord. He is God, the one who made you and us. And all of this. Give thanks for his ingenious, creative power. He made all of this from nothing. And so we are. Don't just stop at that. Think more deeply. Press more deeply into. So yeah, he, he made us. Yes. Okay, press into that. Press more deeply into the creation and, and the scientist's assessment of it. Press into the physicist's understanding of the atom or the astronomer's view of the galaxies or the biologist's view of life forms. You dive into that. You dive into those fields if you have the abilities and you heap up information. You start to pile up information that is marvelous and praiseworthy. And as you consider it all is instrumental in, in making this world and making it all to function, it's all intertwined and it makes the world and makes humans and us as we are, the beauty that is generated there and enjoyed and the intricacy and the functionality of it all, it all comes, it rises to the surface and you just say, wow, thank you. Thank you for this creation and for this world and for this body. You are indeed very good, as verse 5 says. He made a world with color and sound and sense and an ability for me to detect it, which is useful and pleasurable. Wow, thank you. 
I am no expert in any of those fields by any long stretch. It's okay. I had a friend some years back who used to say this. I love to do this with my hand. And say, wow, he's no expert in this, but the bones and the muscles and the tendons and the skin and the nails and how it works that bones can be held together so that I can do this and this and this. That is so marvelous and, and so interesting and, and so useful to me. Thank you. And then I think, I've got eyes that can detect that and a brain that can process it and can, can understand it, can see it, can know what to do with it, and it's so very useful and so marvel-creating. It's, it's a marvel that you created this. He's no expert in the field, but we can all do that. Or sit on a park bench and look at the grass. I'm no botanist, but I can look at grass and actually realize it isn't actually grass. There's like 10 things growing there. There's some varieties of grass, and there's some weeds and some general ground cover, and some of it's in bloom, and some of it's dying out. And in the grass, there are bugs. There are many, there are ants, and there are aphids, and there are little flying things and little crawling things, and there comes something poking out of the ground. Wow. Thank you. Because that's part of this and this, and it makes me, it makes us, it makes a world that is, that is ingenious and creative and beautiful and useful. And then you've given us the intelligence to harvest some of these things and to create with them and to work with them. Amazing. Wow. Thank you. Now, I'm just skimming across the tops of these fields, and I'm no expert in any of them, but do you see why I'm doing this? That, that if you just will learn to look and to think with thankfulness in mind, if thankfulness is a goal, you'll begin to see many, many, many things over which you should marvel and for which you should give thanks. You start to get in the habit of thinking for Thanksgiving and you notice more and you praise more and you enjoy more and you realize more and more frequently my shepherd is mighty and good and wise and so gracious and so generous, such a profound giver to give grass and bugs and mountains and sun and hands and eyes and brain. Marvelous. Thank you. But don't stop at just considering the creation. Give thanks to him for your place in the creation. For the times and seasons he has ordered for you. For the body that you have and the traits and abilities you possess. The mind and the muscles, yes. And also the interests and the experiences and the family, and the friends, and the jobs, and the education, and the home, and the health. What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. It was all a gift. Every bit of it. Every bit of what you are and who you've known 
and what you have and where you've been and the people that you've met there and how they've influenced you and what you've thought about and what you've gathered in and experienced and used, it's all gifted to you by the sovereign shepherd of your soul who is good and who is at work in and through all of that in a hundred ways that you don't understand to make you, you, and to reveal himself to you and to grow you up and to make you like Christ. Which, of course, should quickly remind us not to stop at just considering the earthly circumstances that you're in. Indeed, consider the creation and all the beauty that God has made. And indeed, consider the place that he has put you in it and how he has worked in your life. Thank you. Thank you. But Christian, you know the goodness of the Lord and his amazing steadfast love in far more profound ways than any mere earthly blessing. You're in Christ because of God's sovereign grace alone. Not because of anything you have done. and Not because of anything you would do. We know this from the scriptures. Consider Ephesians 1 and 2. Chapter 1 tells us he chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. That is, without regard to any merit in you. In love, in steadfast, faithful love, he predestined you for adoption through Christ. From the text of Ephesians 1. And then faithful to his purpose and his promise, he sent Christ to atone for your waywardness and your sin and sent his spirit to open your blind eyes and to give life to your dead heart so that now you live. He made you and then in Christ he remade you as a new creation in Christ. You belong to him, all of it to the praise of his glorious grace. What do you have that you did not receive as a gift? Nothing, including your life with Christ. Thank you. Your life now with Christ and your life in the future with Christ in which he promises, I am going to wipe away every tear and then I will change the world and make it right and I will bring to you the, the kingdom of shalom and cause you to dwell with me in it forever. Thank you. Thank you. You created, you made a world, you made grass, you made a sun, you put me in it, and you saved me and promised to deliver me to a future. Christian, grace is not occasional for you. It is the air you breathe. His posture towards you is always controlled by a love for you that is steadfast and wide and long and high and deep, far deeper and far wider and far longer than you can even imagine. He is a God of steadfast love and grace upon grace upon grace mercifully poured out on you. That is true, always, even when 
as you stop to think and your mind runs back, you get specific and you think of the ways that he made you and the places he put you and the people he introduced you to. Oh, that person too. Hang on. And the circumstances that he ordered for my life. Oh, that too. And your mind runs back over the things of your life and you bump into the frightful things or the evil things, the heartbreaking things. Well, this doesn't apply there. Yeah, it does. It does. Even there, his posture there was and remains one of grace and love towards you. And our posture before him is to be one of thankfulness. That's here commanded. And it's in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Do you remember it? Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Or Ephesians 5, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in all the circumstances, always and for everything. That's pretty all-inclusive. And that's pretty tough. What do you do with that? We take those things with us into his presence and give thanks in those circumstances for whatever God is doing with them and in them and through them because of them. Some things are evil, right? And God hates evil. thought about this last week with the righteousness of God. God is is stridently committed to righteousness and justice and is pressing the world towards that and will make it so. He hates evil. It would be odd for us to say, thank you for something that he hates. But thank you in that circumstance is completely and entirely appropriate. Give thanks in all circumstances because he's at work in and through all of them. Even the awful ones. He reigns over all the evil too and bends it all to serve his purposes. And so we can sit before him in his presence with evil burdening us and we can give thanks for the circumstances being the occasion for his accomplishing more of his good plan. Is that hard? Yes. But it's commanded of us and it is offered to us. And again... You're a responsible Christian for what you set your mind on. What do you focus on and what do you allow to become the decisive narrative in your head? Make a habit of this, of taking this psalm and, and giving thanks as you think through all of the, all of the things that, that I kind of helped us to think about. You think of all that stuff and the good things there, give thanks for those and and get in the habit of praying this psalm for that purpose, but also don't, don't shy away from and, and, and try to deny the, the other stuff. 
But look at that too and, and say, Lord, this was evil, but thank you for your work in it and through it in me. Is that hard? Yes. If you pray and think like that, it will change your heart. And this, in the end, is one of the sweetest reasons that God commands our thanksgiving. Why does he want us to say thank you? Well, it's proper, of course, like, like with praise, it's proper. But more than that, he, he, he doesn't tell us to give thanks just because he needs to be thanked. He doesn't need anything. He tells us to work back through and to, to kind of think through life in the past and to, and to look around and see what's here and to, and to give thanks for it. And there is much there. Verse 5, the Lord is good. He's a God of steadfast love. He's a God of faithfulness. There is good. There is love. There is faithful promise-keeping to find. And, and right there is why he tells me to do this. Because what I find, I look back and I find his steadfast love and I find and I find, and I find, what I find there is I find God. And I find that he's a God of steadfast love that endures forever. That his faithfulness is here and here and here and to all generations. God doesn't need to be thanked we have a need that he knows well. He knows that you, you need faith help in your daily struggle against unbelief that accompanies us all of our lives, especially in the hard times. And we need heart help. You need heart help in dealing with tragedies and pains and unsettling Tuesday evening car rides and he gives you that help, that faith help and that heart health help by presenting to you a catalog that is his, his evidence, in his courtroom evidence of here's my character witness case. This is who I am. It's who I am. I have been and I am and I always will be. And as you think through and as you develop a habit of knowing this Lord and of thanking him for all of his goodness, what happens, what changes in your heart is that you begin to see he has always been like this with me. He has always been like this with me. He has always, because he is always, this is who he is and he will be that tomorrow. God tells us, God requires us to be a thanksgiving people. Because he wants to testify to us. I am a God who is good, who is steadfast forever in my love, faithful to all the generations. Look, trust me, that's who I'm going to be tomorrow. I am God and I do not change. That's the help that you need for your faith. That's the help you need in your fears and in your pains. To see God, to see who he is, and to know him as a shepherd who cares for your soul. It's written right here. 
in verse 5. If I ask you to do this right now, do this if you've got writing utensil in hand. Verse 5, write, write on your paper, verse 5, yes, no. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Yes, no. And right now, as you consider and you look back and you see the evidence and you sit here in this room, there's a high probability that you're going to mark yes, that you're going to circle yes relatively easily. Good. What about Tuesday? It's... it's in front of you for your responsibility. Know this God. Give thanks on Tuesday. Look at the evidence on Tuesday and look at yes, no on Tuesday. Which is it? The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the Lord to realize that He is good. And He can be trusted. Let me pray. Lord, what you are for us, your people. Pursued and gathered in from all the nations. For those that you will pursue and gather in tomorrow and next week. Your people. What you are for us is good. Sweet. Thank you. Will you, Lord, grow in us, your people, a habit that for many of us is, is a habit that lies thin on the ground. It is not really deep. It's not thick. It's not constant. Will you grow in us this habit of giving thanks? And as we do, will you show us you, the one to whom we give thanks? And move us to trust you. We bless your name, Lord. We say thank you now for this good work. Will you carry it out in us, grow us up, and honor your name in our presence. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org 
or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.